Let's have a moment of prayer before we begin the message. Lord God, we want nothing more than having our full hearts, our full mind, our full soul, trusting you, obeying you, loving you through Christ Jesus to the very end. So as we come to your word this morning, take us and lead us ever closer to Christ. Fill us and strengthen us by the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have been on this Easter journey. And last week, we spoke and explored the ascension of Christ Jesus. If you remember, if you were with us last week, it was about the coronation of Christ ascending. And during that particular message, Jesus said this. Whoop, there we go. He said, but you will receive the power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the ascension is of great importance. Christ going to his glory that he had with the Father before he came to us. And thus he's leaving the disciples, the apostles, but he says, I'm not leaving you alone. You will be with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the power that the Holy Spirit gives you is vital importance. Look, you and I wouldn't have faith if it were not for the Holy Spirit. We would not be the church if it were not for the Holy Spirit. And we certainly could not be witnesses to Christ if it were not for the Holy Spirit. On our own, we are stuck in our disbelief. On our own, we do not assemble as the saints. And on our own power, we are totally ineffective in our witnesses for Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is vital to who we are as Christians. As we talked about last week, effective witness can only be born where the Spirit is, and where the Spirit is, effective witness will always follow. I might even modify that a little bit. Effective belief, faith, church, and witness can only be where the Holy Spirit is at work. Therefore, since Pentecost Sunday is next Sunday, and we are opening the doors and gathering together in person, I thought it would be very good, very appropriate to explore the person, the work, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at the Holy Spirit as helper, as God, as truth, and witness. Four things, helper, God, truth, and witness. So that's our roadmap for this morning. So let's go on this journey, and we will find the Holy Spirit as helper. From our reading from John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, 
and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we're actually going to take these couple of verses and use these verses to really dig into the promise, the person, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first one is this word helper. Helper. Helper, actually, the original word, the Greek word, is paraclete. I know it's an odd word. We don't hear that too much, but that's the actual word that you find in the Greek. Now, it's often translated as a helper or comforter. We find that from the King James Version. That's how it got translated way back when in the 1600s, and it has pretty much stuck ever since. Now, the problem is you and I in our modern context hear the word helper or comforter in a different manner than it is necessarily spoken of. So in our modern context, and certainly in modern Christianity, when we think of the Holy Spirit as helper or comforter, we think about the softness of the Holy Spirit, the one who embraces us, the one who lifts us up. And indeed, this is part of the role the work, the person, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to comfort us, to lift us up, to encourage us. I mean, that's what I pray for every week, right? For the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to strengthen us. And even when we don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit hears our groans and prays for us to intercede. So, there is that aspect of the Holy Spirit. But is that all that the Holy Spirit is? And the answer is no. That's not all the Holy Spirit is. In fact, when you take a look at this word paraclete, especially in non-religious, just language of the day, it had much more of the sense of someone who was called alongside and really referred to a legal advocate, a counselor, right? We hear that counselor. Uh, we think about that in a different manner too, therapeutic counselor. But no, a counselor as an, as, as an attorney. So here's the Holy Spirit who's coming alongside you to help the disciples, not simply just the softness and encouragement, but as a lawyer as an attorney, and specifically, much more like a prosecutor. So the Holy Spirit here is not just a public defender, but rather the role of a prosecutor. And what does a prosecutor do? A prosecutor points out those who are guilty. So in the context of what Jesus is saying in our reading the Holy Spirit is to reprove, rebuke those who are in sin, to put them to shame. It means to bring someone to acknowledgement of personal guilt. Thus, the Holy Spirit's role is not just this passive role, not just walking alongside, but it is an active role as one who convicts people of their sin putting them to shame to repent. 
If you take a look from our reading today, John chapter 16, verse 8, I'm going to read through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. There is a depth, a breadth of the Holy Spirit that we rarely acknowledge. It is the Holy Spirit's work to convict people of unbelief in Jesus. Those who deny his righteousness, those who deny his sovereignty. And this conviction isn't simply just a general sense of unease or an intellectual awareness. It is the deep conviction of sin against God. Oswald Chambers wrote this. Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it's not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. See, I want you to think about that. I want you to bookmark that thought for next week. Because on Pentecost Sunday, Peter preaches a sermon and it strikes people to the heart. They are convicted of their sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And so there's a much broader sense, a much deeper sense of who Jesus is sending for the disciples for their work, for the church, for the witness. You see, the Holy Spirit, and we must be clear on this, the Holy Spirit is not simply a helper, a counselor, an advocate. The Holy Spirit is God himself. From our reading, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... So the Holy Spirit is coming from God himself. Now, when you ask people about God, most people at least um, are okay with the idea of God the Father, right? We think about God, God the Father. We can get that creator. Okay, got that. But when you ask about Jesus, is he God? Non-Christians have a lot of trouble with that. And even... Many Christians, I mean, it's amazing how many Christians I've talked to also have trouble with Jesus as God. They look at you like, it's almost like a trick question. God, I think he is. But then they do this hierarchy thing where it's God the Father and then somehow God the Son lower, not co-equal. But when you get to the Holy Spirit, Wow, it's all over the board. A lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is simply an emanation of the Spirit of the Father. Some unseen force that the Father has simply sent out. Then is, is that God? And they're like, I don't know. 
So I want to be clear about this. It must always be remembered the Holy Spirit is not an extra part of God, but God himself. And on the screen, you see it says, we affirm that the Holy Spirit is God himself, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. He has the exact same nature as God the Father and God the Son. The exact same nature. Co-eternal, co-equal, same nature. So how can we say that? How can we say the Holy Spirit is of the same nature as God? Well, what's the nature of God? Well, when you take a look at the nature of God, one of the ways you can do that is to take a look at four things. Three of them are called the omnis. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal. Now, I put some of the uh, scripture readings online for you, on the PowerPoint for you to uh, look up, and it's also on the sermon notes, by the way. So let's just take a look at these and see how they apply to the Holy Spirit. Omnipresent. Omnipresent means being everywhere. There's nowhere that the Holy Spirit cannot be. So Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. It talks about the Holy Spirit being present everywhere. There's nowhere you can be that the Spirit cannot be. You've heard that saying, you can run, but you cannot hide. That's it. You can try to run from the Spirit, but you cannot hide from the Holy Spirit. And you also cannot hide your thoughts from the Holy Spirit. This one should also make us tremble. So omniscient, all-knowing. From our reading today from 1 Corinthians, it says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. By the way, think about that for a moment. You and I, when we think about God, our finite mind cannot capture the infinite. Yes, there are definitely things we can know about God. But there's no way we can capture the infinite of God, the full majesty, the full power, the full thoughts of God. But here it says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And who can know the depths of God but God himself? Goes on, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, spirit small s, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So he is omniscient. And he is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. In the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was there, hovering over the face of the waters. We affirm that the Spirit is the Lord and giver of life, with Adam breathing in the breath of life and bringing life where there was nothing. Also, for the conception of Christ Jesus. Here's an interesting one for you to take a look at. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to actually bring life where there is no life. Eternal. There is no beginning and no end to God, which boggles our mind. Have you ever tried to comprehend eternal? You can't. It says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It says, through, who through the eternal spirit. Look, you and I could spend hours on this particular section. But let us suffice to say, Scripture affirms at least four things. That the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal. Thus, with confidence, we say that the Holy Spirit is God himself. He is not the Father, nor is he is the Son, but a separate person of the Trinity, God himself. He is not lesser than the Father, but equal to the Father. He is not lesser than the Son, but equal to the Son. And yet he is not the Father, he is not the Son, he is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we pray to the Holy Spirit because he is also to be worshipped and glorified. Look, the Holy Spirit is not someone to be trifled with. The Holy Spirit is not our personal spirit at our beck and call. It is God himself. So when you are praying to the Holy Spirit, you are praying for God to move in your life. For God to heal. For God to bring faith. This is the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended, we are not left without God somehow. God, the Holy Spirit, is with us. He is also the Holy Spirit of truth. From our reading. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's John 15, 26, and then John 16, 12, and 13. I still have many things to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the context, right, is that Jesus, uh, when he is saying this, it's the night in which he was to be betrayed, he is going away. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he will die, then rise from the dead, and that he will ascend, and that there is work to be done. And this work needs to be done by truth. Now, he has said that he hasn't told them everything because they couldn't bear it right now. But he has told them what is necessary for their lives at this point. And that shouldn't surprise us, because with children, when we raise our children, we don't tell them everything all at once, do we? We start off with 
God made us. God exists. God loves us in Christ Jesus. And then maybe we start to sing them songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we start to build them up as they can understand, as they can start to take things in. We don't start off necessarily with how evil the world is and how much rebellion that there is against God. We don't do that because they couldn't take that in at that time. So in the three years that Jesus has been with his disciples, he's been teaching them. He's been giving them more and more and more as they can finally take in. And now he says, the work that you are to do, the work that I have given you to do, needs to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit in truth. So let's pause here for a moment. Now, in your reading today, it says the Spirit of Truth with a small t, capital S for spirit, but small t for truth. And in our, t- in our culture today, many people take that to be the spirit of a truth, one of the truths. In our culture today, right? I have my truth, you've got your truth. But there's no true truth. It's just a version of truth, maybe. And whatever I firmly believe is my truth, and don't ever tell me anything different than that. But I want to be clear, that's not what truth is. A lot of people have opinions. A lot of people have beliefs. A lot of people have ideas. But truth is true for all people at all times in all places. We call that objective truth. Objective truth means that it's true for all people at all times and in all cultures. So when it is the spirit of truth, it's not a truth, but it is truth. And I would encourage you to think about that with a capital T, the spirit of truth, not a truth. Now, people are going to get really fancy if you want to talk about truth, and they will be just like Pontius Pilate. They will say, what is truth? And they will, they're going to sound like they're so smart. But Pilate wasn't, was he? He didn't recognize the truth that was right before him. So rather than get into all philosophy, rather than get into all of the other stuff, Let's just be clear. Jesus said that he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. It is Christ and Christ alone who is truth with a capital T. Thus, and this is going to be important, the Spirit's leading always points us to Jesus, who is the truth not a truth. Therefore, into all truth must mean into a greater understanding of Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
John wrote about this in his letter. If the Spirit leads you into something else other than Christ Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit of this world, a spirit of the flesh, a spirit of the devil. If it does not point you to Christ and him alone, because Jesus is the truth. And so what the spirit of truth does is to witness of who Christ is. And this is the fourth part in our lesson. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. The work of the spirit is to point people to Christ to convict them of their sin and unrighteousness and to point them and to bring them in faith to Christ and to his righteousness. And how does the Spirit do this? The Spirit does this through his word. The Spirit brings people to faith through the word of God. Listen to what it says in our reading from today. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, for he, and that's the spirit, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Trinity working together inward through the Spirit, pointing you to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer. Why is the word so important? Because look, a lot of people nowadays in our culture want the Holy Spirit to simply work with miraculous signs. And the the Spirit will work in miraculous signs, but there are so many churches where they have glitter falling from the ceiling and they say, that's the work of the Spirit. Or they have gold fillings in their teeth. And you, you know, you don't even, you can research this if you want, but it's not even worth a while. But they will say, well, the Spirit's work. I was falling down and it looks like people are drunk or possessed. They say, that's the work of the Spirit. No, look. Does the Spirit heal? Yes. Does the Spirit encourage? Yes. Does the Spirit bring to faith? Yes, through the Word of God. We must never separate the work of the Spirit from the Word of God. We believe that the Spirit witnesses through the Word. Now, um, there's a, a Gideon in town who has uh, given a couple presentations to us, and I've talked to him, and I can't remember um, how much he has mentioned or I've mentioned during messages or Bible study. It all kind of flows together. But he talked about the primacy of the Word, and this is why they hand out Bibles, right? They're known for handing out Bibles, for putting them in hotel rooms. And he had story after story after story of people in desperation, in loneliness, in a hotel room, reaching out for the Word of God. And they came to faith 
because there was God's word right there in their hand. He talked about this one time. Uh, I can't remember what country they were in, but they, it, was, it was a poor country and a lot of gangs. And they were handing out Bibles outside of the school. And some of the gang members came by and they were taking the Bibles, not because they wanted to read the Bibles, because the paper that they were printed on was very thin and they could use this to roll joints to smoke marijuana. How's that for God's word, right? But one, one of the leaders in this gang, he was getting to the end of the Bible and rather than just tear out the page, he started to read it. And he was moved. And he wanted to find out more. So he sought out one of the Gideons that had been handing out Bibles. Says, "I want to know more about this. What is this?" And it was from the Book of Revelation, by the way. And so he started to learn about God and His Word. And not only did he become a Christian, he ultimately became a pastor. And many members in that gang became Christians and were in the work of ministry because of the Word of God. Now, the word of God could also come in a very simple manner, too. Do you remember from Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There's a story of a young boy with a severe disability, but he was at a camp, a Christian youth camp. And all the kids were making fun at him because he stuttered. But one time at the camp, that night, they asked him to say a word of prayer for devotion. And you think about this, all the kids, you know how mean kids can be. But he was there and he got up and all he could really say is Jesus loves me and I love him. And the work of the Spirit that night was so powerful, all those youth were convicted, convicted in their heart because of those words that Jesus loves me and I love him. And many of them went into ministry because of that proclamation. That can only happen through the work of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but it moves me to tears. So I'd like you to consider some things this week. When were you convicted of sin through God's word? Not just made it easy, but convicted. What happened? When was the spirit... When has the Spirit witnessed to you about Christ Jesus? Be specific. I'd like you to really think about that. When has the Spirit witnessed to you about who Christ is? And then, here's what I'd like you to do this week. Share with someone this week about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Share. Tell other people. 
because somebody else might need to hear, Jesus loves me, and I love him. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, what great love you would pour down on us in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit to be with us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to lead us on. Holy Spirit, continue to work us, work in us and through us, letting our hearts love Christ evermore and following him faithfully day by day. Give us boldness in our faith. This we pray to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.